Discover community. Find hope and experience God. This is Discovering Hope with Pastor Paul Knight. So it was the summer between, uh, like, spring of uh, my 10th grade year in high school. And I had been a follower of Jesus Christ for just about two years. I gave my life to Jesus Christ between my 8th and ninth grade year. And uh, there was this young woman who had captured my fancy. Uh, I, I, that's a weird way of saying that. Like, I thought she was hot. That, that's more honest. And uh, I got my driver's license and decided I wanted to ask her out. But I wasn't sure where she was spiritually. And, and, and that was a, a, a real thing for me. And so I asked her if we could go out, and I took her to youth group. And I took her to youth group several weeks in a row. And on the way home, I would take her off on a back road. <laughs> not, not for that. I took her out on a back road to ask her this question. And this is all in, in desperate seriousness. I would ask her. I'd pull over the car, and I'd ask her, what do you think of youth group? And she would say something, because she was a relatively shy girl. And, and she, was, she would say, it was fine. And I'm like, are you fine? Right? God was all over the place, right? Uh, but then I'd ask her this. I, I would say, are you saved? Or have you been born again? And she would respond, I think so. And I said, you need to know so. And if you're not sure, you're probably not. And here's what was going on with me, because like I really was attracted to her, and I, and I was thinking, like I don't want a partner through life that's going to just go to church with me. Like everybody in my neighborhood went to church. I didn't want someone in my life that was going to kind of like be religious with me. I, I wanted someone. If God was going to lead me to find a, a life partner in tenth grade, <laughs> which is ridiculous, right? I didn't know though. I wanted someone that was going to be all in for Jesus. Like, I didn't want to just have someone that would play church. I wanted someone that, that, like, really genuinely was a follower of Jesus Christ. And gradually, as we asked those questions, we talked about it. She said yes, that she was a follower of Jesus Christ, that she had surrendered her life to Christ. I remember the day at, a, at another church where she went forward to publicly declare her relationship with Jesus Christ. And this morning, she's in the sound booth, and I've been married to her for 42 years. But that's an incredible question, you guys. Like, I'm not patting myself on the back, but are you saved? Are you born again? The Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians is talking about that. If you remember the last couple messages, the first message a couple weeks ago, we talked about being dead. We talked about being in a graveyard, and the Apostle Paul, at the beginning of chapter 2, says that apart from Jesus Christ, you are spiritually dead, that you can't resuscitate yourself. It's like the, your spiritual house has collapsed on you, and you have no recourse. You need to be rescued. And then we, we talked about, about this idea of God's grace, this beautiful, scandalous, generous grace of God that he pours on us that we don't deserve. In fact, we deserve something else, but he pours this grace on us, this favor that draws us and woos us and, and, and pulls us towards himself because he wants us. This morning, we're going to talk about this idea. You know the verse, probably many of you know the verse, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Actually, could you throw the verse up there, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? Could we say this together? For it is by grace. Okay, let's start over just so we're all together. 
right? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For by grace you have been saved. Are you saved? Let me read the passage for us. It's Ephesians chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles on the rack back there. You can take one of those Bibles. You can keep that Bible. Bring it home. Bring it back. Whatever you want to do. But uh, open up your Bible or on, on your phone or wherever. And let's stand in honor of God as we read his word. I, I, by the way, I, like I love this passage because it is so real to me. I'm going to start in verse 1, read down to verse 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressing his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you for the privilege of being your people and of walking with you and knowing you and being known by you, being chosen by you. Amen. You may be seated. So let me ask the great question again. Here's what I want to do. I want to ask the one great question and then I want to describe three truths about that question. One question, three truths. The question is, are you saved? I'm not asking, do you go to church? I'm not asking, did you have a religious ceremony? I'm not asking if you finished class. I'm asking you, has God grabbed hold of your life? Have you been transferred from death, spiritual death, to spiritual life? Have you been transformed? Have you received the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for you? I'm not asking, are you a good person? I'm not asking whether you think that you've been trying hard enough. I'm asking, has God intervened in your life? Has he done spiritual CPR and taken your dead spiritual corpse and made it alive in Christ? In Ephesians chapter 1, he says all kinds of things about being saved. He says that when we are saved, we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. All of the, all of the blessings of God's kingdom are available to us. 
He says that the person who is saved has been chosen by God in a, in a similar fashion to those little kids choosing you. The person who's saved, the person who knows that they've been, it's like God reached his hand out and said, you're mine. And you responded with yes. That the person who's saved knows that they have been redeemed, purchased by God through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That that, that you didn't deserve it, you didn't earn it. It was just like you were on the slave block of sin, destined for damnation. And God says, I'll pay for him. I will pay for her. I'll pay with the blood of my son, Jesus, so that they, so that that person could go free, so that that person could go free, so that that person, have you been set free by Jesus? Are, are, are you saved? It, it, it says that we are adopted as sons and daughters of God, that you've been taken into his family, that he lavishes grace on us. Like, you, you know how I love to do that. He, the, the word lavish is like an over, it's like beep, beep, big, beep, beep. He dumps his favor on you. Has God dumped his favor on you? Are you saved? It says, that when you are saved, that when God purchases you, when he animates your spiritual life, when when he forgives you, it says that you are marked and sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, that, that God takes up residence in us. That the very presence of God begins to dwell within us. Like he, he pitches a tent in your heart or your soul or your life and he lives in you. Is God present in you? For by grace you are saved through faith. Faith, you've seen me describe this many times. Faith is, is this, this transferring of the weight of my life from me. I'll do better, I'll do better, I'll try harder, I'll try harder. I, 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 uh, it's the transferring the weight of my life onto Jesus Christ. Let's pretend this is Christ. Right? We, we have people, religious people, church people all the time who, who lean towards Jesus. They, they hang out near the things of God. But so many of us have, this was my parents uh, until they were in their 40s. They hung out in the environment of the things of God, but they never transferred the weight of their life. Being saved is I will trust Jesus with my life. I will transfer the weight of responsibility for my sin, for my blessings, for my money, for my relationships, for the goofy, horrible, painful things in my life, the beautiful and wonderful and amazing things in my life. I will transfer all of that and I will become a child of God. I will let him own me. I surrender to him. I am saved. The alternative to being saved is not saved. (laughs) I didn't mean to get profound there. But the alternative is to be on your own. The alternative is to not live forgiven. 
The alternative is to spend all of eternity outside of God's presence. The alternative is to spend all of eternity in what the Bible describes as the most horrible, awful eternity, but it's your choice. It's not like God sends you to hell. The Bible speaks so clearly that you're on your way to hell. We'll we'll read a verse about that in a moment. But to be unsaved is to live in the state that you've always been in. That there hasn't been a transfer of ownership of your life. That there hasn't been a transformation of your life. That there hasn't been a surrender of your life. That God hasn't moved in. So this beautiful young 10th grade girl on the side of the road in Duluth, I would look at her and say, are are you saved? And there was a point where she surrendered. Have you? Because if you have, there's three things I want you to understand. I want to invite you to encourage you. Three truths. Here's the first truth. If you are saved, the, the first truth is if you are saved, you didn't do it. That's what Paul's saying. It's not by works. You didn't do it. Like there's nothing that a dead person spiritually can do to animate their life. Like you receive it. You don't make it happen. It's not like you can say, okay, I'm going to take credit for this. Like if somehow you're, you surrender your life to Jesus Christ at some point in your, in your life and it's transformed you, it's changed you, that's not a position of arrogance. You didn't do it. Like, you can't take credit for running around, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm born again. Hello, look at me, look at what I, hello, thank you, thank you. It's not you. You were dead. In your transgressions, says those of us here who are still trying to figure it out, you're still dead, spiritually. It's like you're, you didn't do anything to make it happen, dead people don't do stuff. See, a lot of the people in our area, I, th- I think we live under a delusion or a deception. And let me just mention a couple of them in this idea of, of a lot of people think they have to do something, right? A lot of people live under the deception or the, the fallacy of, I just have to be better at who I am. I, d- I need to be a do-gooder. I need to, do, I, I need to be more moral. I need to stop doing certain things. We look around and we say, well, yeah, dang. There's some people around me, they're way better than I need to, I need to step up my game so that God is happy with me. We somehow have been deluded to thinking that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. Here's what the Bible teaches. No one's good. Did all of us who have sinned. There's, there's no one righteous, no, not one. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. So no matter how good you are, you're just not good enough. And, and so I say, well, compared to so-and-so, and he, he thinks he's going, it's not, God's not like doing a curve. God doesn't have a bell curve. So you, you, can, you can, in reference to your spiritual life, stop measuring. If you measure, here's your, here's your score every time. Zero. For the wage of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. The way just, like, 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 like when you pray for your neighbors to come, don't, don't pray that they become better people. Pray that they encounter God. 
And Jesus, when you pray for your kids, don't harass them about just being good. I mean, you want your kids to be good. You don't want to be bad kids. But good and moral doesn't get you to heaven if that's your ultimate goal. See, there's a delusion in our part of the country, I think, maybe the whole world, I don't know, I haven't lived everywhere, that thinks good people go to heaven. There, there's another delusion, and, and that's that, okay, if I've been bad, I need to try harder, I need to earn my way. I need to give more financially. I need to spend more time going to church. I need to go to more Bible studies. I need to do the kinds of things that people who are really good do so that I can earn, so that God will be happy with me. Well, if it's true that we don't do anything to get saved, you can't do enough to make up for the sin in your life. This idea that we we can stop, like, like you know, like some, some people, I, I, I encounter people around our community who say, well, I just don't know everything I need to know yet, so I need to read more of the Bible. Or I need to stop drinking so much. I have a very dear friend and a uh, person I care a lot about. She, she says to me, well, I can't be a follower of Jesus because I like wine too much. I'm like, no, that, that's about stopping something before you follow, like, you're not going to earn your way. We can't. So this delusion is the deceptiveness of earning God's favor. So here, here's what I want to say just to everybody, those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ and those of you who aren't, like even those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, some of you are still trying to earn his favor. He lavishes his favor on us. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> Already, you don't have to earn a thing from him. Stop trying to earn it. Here's the other thing, another deception. And, and I find this often in this area. I just need to, I hear people tell me I just need to get more religious. As though somehow having a ceremony or somehow saying seven of these and four of these is going to save you. Religion doesn't save anybody. Jesus does. It's not about trying to be doing the right things. It's not about certain classes, certain ceremonies, certain making sure certain things are done certain ways. The, religion is God's effort to try to reach God. Relationship is God's effort to try to reach you. He says, I love you. So if you're saved... If you're saved, you can stop trying to do the impossible, striving to make it right with God. When you're saved, you can sit down. It says that we are raised with Christ and seated in him. This is, we're going to come to the parts where we do things later, but for the person, when you get saved, he does all of the work for us. You can sit in that and rest. He's got me. I am saved. You don't do a thing. If you're saved, here's the second big truth. God did it. God did it. Again, this is very simple. I I hope it's not simplistic. God did it. God did everything that needs to happen for you, your neighbor, your kids, your grandparents, your mom, your dad, your children. God did everything that has to happen for you to be saved. He 
did everything. His grace is poured out on us, his undeserved favor. You see in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, you see at just the right time when we were still powerless. Did you hear that? God had to do it all because we couldn't. Like some of you know what that's like, right? In, in your heart, you said, you know, I want to be better. I want to do better. I want to do better. And you can't. God recognizes our powerlessness. Matter of fact, if you're a person who's in addiction recovery, you, you, you know that, that one of the first things you have to discover is, as I am powerless over this. It's the same with our sin. It's the same with our life apart from God. We're powerless. You can't ever do it. And God does it. Listen, listen let, me, let me finish the passage. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us before you got good. He died for you before you started to turn your life around. He loved you before you did anything. God did it all. He reached out and says, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. It's like God looked at down from heaven and said, you know what? I can't stand it anymore. I love you so much. I'll pay for it for you if you'll come. I'll come down. I'll live a perfect life. I will die on the cross and pay the penalty for your sin if you will just step into relationship with me. I'll do it all. All you have to do is receive it by faith and let me change you and transform you. Max Lucado uh, writes this. I love this. Uh, he says, there are many reasons God saves you. To bring glory to himself, to appease his justice, to demonstrate his sovereignty. But one of the sweetest reasons God saved you is because he is fond of you. He likes having you around. He thinks you're the best. He thinks you're the best thing to come down the pike in quite a while. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If God had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring and a sunrise every morning. Whenever you want to talk, he'll listen. He can live anywhere in the universe and he chose your heart. Face it, friend. God is crazy about you. In this passage, the Apostle Paul is speaking about dead in transgressions and sin, following the works of the devil, all these things. But then he says, but God, who is rich in mercy, lavishes you with grace and loves you so much that he'll do everything that is required so that you can be saved. Are you saved? Like if we were to pull the car over 
and I were to look you in the eye and ask you, have you been born again? Well, pastor, I, I go to church every day. No, that's not what I'm asking. Has your life been surrendered to Jesus Christ? Let me give you the third truth. Because if you are saved, or if you're thinking about being saved, you can't do it. God did it, so there's no room for boasting. That's Paul's point. For by grace you're saved through faith, not by yourself so that no one can boast, so that there's something about you when you realize that he did it all for you, that there's something about you when you realize he died for you, that there's something about you that in humility stands before him and says, God, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm stunned that you've chosen me. I deserve to go to hell, Father. I'm amazed that you love me this much. I don't even love myself that much. That that there's no room for boasting so that no one can boast, so that no one can say, look at what I've done, so that no Christian can walk around with a stinking arrogance around the people who don't know yet. Like, 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 how can a person who's had God do everything for them walk up to someone and say, you're so stupid for not being a Christian, or even think that about them? How could a person who's done, had God do everything for them and all they've done is receive, how could that person ever act like they, that, that they did something to earn it? Like some of us, the natural trajectory of your life since you were a little kid was to go to church. Going to church doesn't bring you to heaven. You're just doing what your family's always done. Are you saved? Does God have you? Like when you breathe, do you breathe the breath of Christ because he's in you? Like are you all in? Like, like, like listen to Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. The apostle Paul says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. It's a gift, not by works. It is the gift of God. It's like God saying, here, here's life. And some of us Christians walk around like, I got it. I got it. And we treat other people who don't have him yet as though they're lesser. The only difference is somehow God put his hand on us. And we said, yes. It's not that they're more stupid than us. It's not that they're more sinful than us. Like Paul's whole purpose in saying you were dead is to understand that my spiritual building had collapsed and I was being crushed under the weight of my own sin. And a spiritual rescue team, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, ran in and began to move the debris from my life. 
so I could take my first fully alive breath. Do you think someone who's been rescued from a spiritual collapse is going to run out and say, hey, look at what I've done. <laughs> I'm free. No, that person, you can watch it in any news broadcast when someone's been rescued. That person points all the time with every point. I'm so thankful for him. I'm so thankful that he burst in the building. I'm so thankful that, that she put out the fire. I'm so thankful that they gave me CPR. I'm so thankful that he, my heart. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. I want to live the rest of my life full out of gratitude for the one who rescued me. Eugene Peterson, in the translation of the Bible called The Message, writes this about the passage. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Saving is all his idea, all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from the start to the finish. We don't play a major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing ourselves. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. Are you saved? If you've never transferred ownership from your life to him, I encourage you before you go over there, if in fact you go, go over there and let's pray with you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, let me remind you that for reasons unknown to me in my own life and unknown to you, God put his hand on you. He put your picture in his wallet, so to speak. And he says, I love you. Live for me. Are you saved? Let's stand together. May the Lord our God bless us. May he cause his face to shine on us. May our God who loves us lift up his countenance upon us, filling us with his grace and granting us his peace. Go into the world and be fully devoted followers of Jesus. Let God love you love him in return and love others in Jesus name go be church